Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, this week I'm with Tim Carroll. He is the founder of LFX Firearms Training. He's a firearms instructor teaching Tennessee handgun carry classes, which is how we met, uh, carbine classes, situational awareness classes, and there's a lot of credentials we're going to talk about today. Pretty impressive, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I uh, did research, so I knew like 10% of all of the coolness. <laughs> so going into that too, um, did you always know that this is what you were going to end up doing? No, not at all. Really? No, so my dad was a, uh, so he's a retired major from the army. And I grew up as an army brat. Okay. So, you know, from the time I was born, I was born in, in Texas. My sister was born in Alaska. My brother was born in Virginia. We, you know, we moved all over the place yep. and I grew up on base. That's where we lived. We stayed on base the whole time, lived on base. Wow. And my dad was never a gun guy. So we had like a old 22 squirrel gun and <laughs> sat in the closet and we never shot it. I don't, I don't think I ever shot that gun. Oh, wow. And, uh, just kind of came about where, you know, I was working swing shift and I thought, you know, my wife probably needs something at home, yeah. you know, to, to take care of herself if she ever needed to. So I bought my first handgun, which was a, uh, I think it was a Glock 22 in 45 caliber. Nice. Which is confusing so, for everyone. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I shot it. I was, I was always a good shot. You know, my dad taught me how to shoot, but we shot like pellet guns and things like that. So it wasn't anything, you know, big or, or a variety of things. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was always a good shot. And then I went and got my concealed carry permit mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, yeah, I'm good. Right. Yep. I got my gun. I got my permit. I can carry now. Oh, where then, were you in this time, by the way? What oh, so I was, yeah, I was probably mid twenties. Okay. I think that's how old I was when I bought my first gun, okay. somewhere around there, 26, 25, 26. And uh, what state were you living in, though? I was in Tennessee. So I've okay, been, so we've lived in Tennessee since uh, early 90s, I think, 91 okay. is when we moved here, finally settled down. That's when dad retired. So uh, all the extended families from here. So that's where we ended up. Okay. And, uh, and you so went with a 45 caliber to start off things because that yeah, sounds yeah. like a fun idea. Well, you know, for your you know, wife, I didn't, I didn't know anything, <laughs> you know, about guns. My dad wasn't a gun guy and yeah. neither was I. Right. So I, I just was like, okay, you know, the says, you know, get big caliber. So 45, right. <laughs> get the 45 ACP. Right. So that's what I did. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to, you know, Tom Gresham is, I don't, I should. So he, he runs a, uh, a radio show called gun talk and okay. it's, he does, you know, he, he puts it out as a podcast as well. So this was about the time when podcasts were coming out. So I was like, okay, well, I've got a gun. Maybe I can listen to some gun podcasts. Okay. So I, was, I, was, I was listening to him and he had this guy on his radio show called Tiger McKee. Tiger McKee is, is one of the nation's premier firearms instructors. 
And I was listening to him. I was like, oh, that guy sounds, you know, nice and calm, makes a lot of sense. You know, what he's saying is, you know, I'm interested. So I looked him up and, you know, he's only a few hours from here. I think maybe two and a half, three hour drive. And I thought, you know, I should go take a class because mm -hmm. I, you know, eight hour firearms class. I was like, man, that seems kind of intense, but let me just go check it out. See what it's like. So I went and took a full day handgun class. Uh, actually, I think it was a two day class. Yeah. After you had your permit too. So you did like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So full two day class. And when I got done with that class, I was like, oh man, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know nothing about defensive firearms. Mm -hmm. So I started snowballing and I started taking more and more classes, uh, several different instructors, always kept going back to Tiger because, you know, he's my first instructor and, and he's, you know, I, I'm not a fan of paying to get yelled at. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of firearms instructors, defensive firearms instructors who either come from a military background or a police background who like, they're like intense. to yell at their students and get super intense and do this, this whole drill instructor thing. It's like, man, if I'm going to pay several hundred dollars for a class, yeah. I don't want to be yelled at. Well, and I think that you found someone that matches your personality, like knowing you, you're very calm. I've never seen you. I wouldn't know the difference between angry and, uh, <laughs> you know, but like you got lucky where you found your, your person, like right off the bat. And I tell a lot of people like, go take a variety of classes, go figure out who you can learn from too, or who, like you said, fits, fits what you want. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and he was that he's super calm. You know, if, if, if you're out on the range and something goes wrong, he's not like yelling, yeah, get it, get it fixed, get back in the fight and all this stuff. He's just like, all right, fix it. Let's figure out what the problem is, fix it. So like I said, I, I realized I didn't know anything and started taking more and more classes. It kind of snowballed and it was one of those things, you know, it's like you turn out to be the gun person, right? In, yes. your, in your clique or your society or your, you know, your group of friends and family. It's like, oh yeah, he's the gun person. Yep. So it was friends and family would say, hey, can you show so-and-so how to shoot? Can you show my friend, my sister, my aunt? So I was like, they yeah, still sure. do that, oh, don't they? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough that I've got some land available that I can go out and shoot out on my own. I don't have to go to a public range. Those absolutely terrify me. You've um, never struggled. You've never struggled as an instructor. That's all I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like not having a place I mean, to go. It's cool. Yeah. Pu public ranges just terrify me, but, but even you know, though, like having your own property is huge. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I don't take that for granted. I, you know, I, I realize how fortunate I am to have my own land to be able to shoot on. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I was like, well, maybe I should get a certification. So I got one, two, a couple of certifications here. We'll go through those soon. Yep. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it started, you know, just snowballing more and more. And then, uh, I was contacted by a local range here that said, Hey, why don't you come out and teach classes here? So I, I emailed Tiger because he's always at the end of his classes. He always says, Hey, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, just shoot me an email. And he means so it. I him, I, yeah. And I, I sent him an email and he said, Hey, you know, if you're really serious about firearms instruction, why don't you come down here and apprentice with me? I was just like, Whoa. yeah, like, Oh my God. Yeah. He's only offered that to, want to say two other people in his entire career yeah so I was like yes yes I will absolutely do that so I've been I've been apprenticing with him for the last four years now I guess and that's shoot right uh, firearms academy yeah right? that's at shoot right uh firearms academy down in Langston Alabama yeah and uh yeah I've, I've just and uh, as you know you learn way more when you're instructing people than you do by taking instruction so 
it's just gone from there and, you know, take on more and more students and then eventually get rolling from there. And to answer your original question, I know that that was long winded, but uh, I love it. Not a, not you know, a I, I never pictured it. It was just one of those things. It's like, if I, if I get interested in something, mm-hmm. I usually don't kind of do it half-heartedly. I'm kind right. of like all the way. And I, I committed myself to doing that. And that's something I really enjoy. And that's, you know, it's part of my regular, my day job. Yeah. You know, I instruct people and I do training and things like that anyway. So sure. I, I'd like to consider myself good at it. Uh, and it was just kind of a natural ex- extension of, you know, I, I love, the firearms world and I love teaching so might as well put them together so that's that's something I'm really passionate about right now but could change I, but yeah, I, yeah I, I never you know when I first started shooting I never saw myself as an instructor no or with 7,000 certificates and we'll get into that but um before we continue I have to know the answer to this <laughs> it's bothering me did your wife shoot that 45 caliber gun yeah she shot it how'd she feel yeah, I mean, it was fine. She's, she's a good shot. She's, yeah. uh, you know, she doesn't shoot as much as I would like her to, Sure. but you know, she's not, she's not nearly as passionate about it as I am. Right. But she shoot and she shoots well. But would you hand in any other female, a 45 caliber for the first time? No, no, not the first time. Typically yeah. not the first time. <laughs> That's like a big no, no in our world now that you learn, yeah, but I just had to ask. Sure. That's funny. Um, yeah. So what did you originally want to do actually before that? Did you have a plan for your life? Uh, so in high school, I always, because, you know, dad was in the military and it was such a huge part of our life. I always thought I'm going to go into the military. Yeah, I, it, it was like anybody that knew me thought, yeah, Tim's going to go into the army or, or something like that. It right. was, and, and, you know, still today <laughs> I get, I get questions all the time for folks. If I go in somewhere and they offer military discounts, they'll immediately ask me, oh, you, oh, you want the military discount? If I go to an airport, <laughs> people will say, thank you for your service. What? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I got stereotyping. I got That's stereotyping. Yeah, I got I got pulled aside and I was in Italy one time traveling and I got pulled aside by their security team because they were like, are you in the military? I was like, nope. They're like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I, I think I'd know. Were you wearing five like, eleven pants? No, I was just wearing jeans, t-shirt, had my jacket on, and you know, I I've got an olive drab backpack that I use as my carry-on. Okay, okay. Maybe that was it, I guess, but it's just like a five eleven backpack. There's nothing special about it. It's just olive drab. Cold. And yeah, I got pulled aside there, but it's it's all the time. And and one guy that uh, he was a, a former Marine. And he always said, well, it's just, it's the way you carry yourself and walk around. You're constantly scanning and looking at stuff like that. So people just naturally assume that you're in the military, but I have to correct people all the time and say, no. Yeah. But yeah, for me, originally it was going to be, yeah, I was going to go into the military and then, you know, life happens and, you know, different things and you just start traveling a different path and, you know, get a family and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it never worked out that way. That's one of those things that's like, eh, I kind of wish I had done that, but I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. Yeah. I think so, it's awesome. And the thing too, I'll love military, but not all military are like that either, you know, a situational oh, no, 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 themselves. No. So it's like, interesting. <clears throat> that's our, I think that's our default. Like so many people, same with me. I'm like, hi, I wouldn't have done well <laughs> yeah. being owned for a few, few years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so traveling for the apprenticeship, like how, how does that work? uh, with working with tiger, what are you doing for the apprenticeship? 
so really all he'll do is if he has a, a larger class, usually like three or more folks, okay. he'll give me a call or shoot me an email and say, hey, I've got this class coming up. We've got several people in it. Can you come give me a hand? Cool. And uh, I'll just say, sure, because it's a it's a day trip for me. You know, I wake up early and drive down there and drive home late. And it's yep. it's pretty easy to do. Uh, yeah, that, there's nothing hard about it. And I, I usually I'm, I'm very flexible in my day job. So yeah. I always have the ability to, you know, I work from home about half the week and I, I always have the chance to be able to just drive down there. But yeah, I'd, I'd make time to go down there and, and do classes with him. Oh, heck yeah. If you were in anyone else in that position would do the same thing. I think it's interesting too, for a lot of shooters that I talk to, like distance driving four or five hours. That's like, okay, that's fine. Like no big yeah. deal. Yeah, for okay. sure. Other yeah. people are like, that's so far, like yeah. over an hour is too much. I'm like, eh. Yeah perspective changes um with opportunities so i'm sure you've learned eight thousand things what are some of like the biggest takeaways you've learned from from tiger uh you know consistency his his biggest thing is always consistency so i could i could go to one of his classes and i could probably tell you what he's going to say before he says it almost word for word because <laughs> he is so consistent like i mean this guy literally eats the exact same thing for lunch every day. Ew. It is consistent. <laughs> like when we go to the cafe for lunch, I'll just tell them, hey, Tiger's coming. And they will make the exact same dish for lunch because oh. he is consistent in everything he does. And it's, you know, consistency, you know, allows you to have repeatability and repeatability makes you, you know, makes you better. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he's super old school. I'm not nearly as old school as he is, but he is very, very old school. If something hasn't been tried and tested for the last 40 years, yeah. he, he's not taking it up. I'm, yeah. I'm a lot more flexible when it comes to that sort of thing. Like I've got a red dot on my carry pistol <laughs> and he's just like, no red dots. No never. Red dots. Yeah, never. <laughs> They've updated the technology now. Like, yeah. Batteries yeah, last forever. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I have to ask, have you ever been to Thunder Ranch? No, that's that's on my list. Me too. Uh, I, I want to make it out there. So Tiger actually trained with Clint Smith. Okay. That's so awesome. that's that's the lineage he comes from is and you know uh the the defensive firearms world is a lot like the martial arts world. Uh one could make the argument that defensive firearms use is a martial art. Uh, so it's, when you look at lineage, like you talk about jujitsu, right? I take jujitsu and, and it's like, okay, is it Gracie jujitsu? Is it Japanese jujitsu? It's just, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, people want to know who trained the guy that's training you. Yeah. And in the firearms world is kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, well, where's that lineage coming from? You yes. say, okay, well, there's, here's Clint Smith. Tiger trained under Clint Smith, and now he's teaching something, and I'm training under Tiger. So it's you, you still look at that lineage, but yeah, Thunder Ranch is a place that I do want to make that trip to. I know, so cool. Yeah, West Coast though, that's uh, doesn't matter. All Thunder Ranch. Yeah, that's true. That's so cool. You know, something that you mentioned, um, like the instructor styles. I'm sure you've heard of Gilbert Perez locally because I want to take one of his classes. You know, a Gilbert Perez shooter when you see the draw. Yeah, for sure. Like, like that's, yeah, that's pretty cool though. When you see that like style, I guess, of instructors. Um, okay. I want to talk about LFX training or firearms training. When did you start that? Like, what was the opening date? Uh, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, so 
it originally came about. So me, me and that Marine friend that I was telling you about, we worked together okay. and we shared an office. So when you share an office with somebody, you're constantly talking during downtime. And, you know, he was like, you know, we started talking about instruction and I had already had my certification. I was doing some teaching and stuff on the side. Okay. So and you had that first. Like, Hey, let's, let's start a firearms training business. I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And we were looking at land and, you know, we came up with the name. So LFX is an acronym for live fire exercise. And, you know, I told him, Hey, we're not doing any names that are like tactical or extreme or things like that. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, no problem. And it's, <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's a conversation starter. So people are like, well, what does LFX stand for? Yeah. And, you, know, you get to talk about it and draw them into a conversation that way. But that's, Man, I want to say that came about probably 2015-ish is when the idea was born. And then when I actually started saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to make this into a legitimate business was around the 2017 time frame. Yeah. And like um, real quick too, when I think about entrepreneurship, something that just hit me is like when you're in the same space, the same way with co-working space, it's like when you surround yourself with people that are like-minded um, and then you talk about ideas and stuff, you're more likely when you're in those spaces to like move mountains with them or collaborate with them or, or what have you. But like, you know, the further you, if you don't make those connections and you don't start talking to people, like you don't know what you're missing out on, um, you yeah, know, the further sure. removed, like, you know, if somebody's in a different state, it's so hard to link up someone's yeah. in a different country. It's hard, but like, uh, I just think that's really cool. Yeah. And, and so he, shortly after we came up with that, you know, he, he quit the company and moved to a different job. So yeah. it was kind of like, all right, well, I guess that idea is dead. No. But then, you know, as, as I started doing more and more instruction, I was like, you know, I probably need to be more professional at this. So it was the whole idea of, so, okay, well, let's just go ahead. Let's just do it yeah. and start, start the business, create the brand and, and move forward from there. So first time entrepreneur. Yeah, that was my first, you know, business venture, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I love it. So accidental entrepreneur-ish. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I'm the yeah, same way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, okay. We're going to go into all of them because I, I want to know you teach so much. Um, so let's talk about like the, the, the classes that you offer and like what people can expect from them. So like starting out, right? Beginner's gun safety course. What is that? Yeah. So for the beginner, it's, it's obviously somebody that has either never touched a gun or uh, has very, very little experience with a handgun. And most of the folks around here are that way. Uh, yeah. you, you know, in out in rural East Tennessee, you get a lot of hunters and a lot of guys will say, oh, you know, I've had plenty of time with my shotgun and my rifle, yeah. but I don't use the handgun very much. Uh, also get a lot of women in that classes because men just have too much of an ego and they yes. think, oh, I already know how to shoot. I can shoot a, a rifle, then that means I can shoot a handgun. We start out, you know, we start out with administrative actions, safety, obviously, first and foremost, uh, and then basically I'll, I'll tailor it to what the student wants, which is uh, most of the time they'll start asking a lot of questions about, and, you know, I'll, I'll do gear recommendation, guns, you know, that's that type of stuff, because most, most folks, most beginners will say, you know, obviously, what kind of a gun should I get, right? Yeah, that's, always. That's the question we get all the time. It's all what the kind time. Of gun should I get? Like, and my answer is always, I don't know. Yeah. I, I gotta figure out what's going to work for you first. And yeah. then you got to go from there. Yeah. Um, I tell people, don't even ask me what I carry. Don't ask what they carry. Don't just don't like you have to go pick right. it up, shoot it, touch it. Like I can't yeah. answer that. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's a, the, the first class is, is 
very inexpensive, you know, it's 30 bucks for an hour and a half. And that's wow. kind of my hook to get people in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they'll come in and, and ask a lot of questions. We'll do a lot of dry fire, make sure the trigger work is right. Make sure they're manipulating the firearm the correct way. And then we'll put maybe 50 rounds downrange just to nice. verify that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And then after that, uh, they'll go from there. Uh, hopefully they come back and take more classes, but yeah. You know. Describe your ideal student. Like what is, you know, that good student that's coachable and open and, oh. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you hit it. That's the right word. They got to be coachable. They have to be willing to learn. Uh, they have to be able to listen to what I'm telling them uh, because, you know, if, I, if they're not listening to what I'm telling them, then they're wasting their money and their time and my time. So being coachable, being very receptive, asking a lot of questions. That's what I like to see. And analytical. I found that people that come out who are very analytical do way better. Yeah. Uh, folks like engineers, like if I get an engineer now, I, I know, yeah, this is going to be a good student because <laughs> they're like gonna, taking everything yeah, down. Because they, yeah, they're, they're writing down notes. Everything they do is repeatable. You know, it's like the trigger press. Okay, here's how you press the trigger. And they're like, okay, they'll do it in the exact same every single time. Awesome. So folks like that. And, and to be honest, and you already know this, but somebody who's never shot a gun before, I'll take that over a person who has shot for years. No bad habits. That's right. No bad <laughs> habits to break. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, that's a good course to start with. Um, and then like moving up from there. Okay. You talked about dry fire. I know you have a dry fire course. Nobody loves dry fire, right? No, no, but I feel like that's, I don't even know, like 70% of my improvement is dry fire. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I got one of those dry fire mags. Have you tried those yet? Yes, I just yeah, did. Really nice. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, it's very yep. nice. I, could, I mean, I tell people, I tell my students, I say, hey, do 100 dry fire shots a day. Yeah. Just, it'll take you less than five minutes. Do, do 100 dry fire shots a day and your accuracy will go through the roof. Absolutely. Those dry fire mag, it is, I can, I can draw targets on my whiteboard and sit at my office. So when I'm working in my office, just during some of my downtime, I can pick up my gun and press off, you know, several shots. It's probably a normal day. Oh yeah. All day. <laughs> so good. Because of like, you can use your gun, right? You're using it yeah. like your Glock. Yeah. So you can literally feel your trigger. And the, the cool thing with those two is changing out the springs. Yep. The, the weight for the trigger, which was neat. Yep. The only thing I didn't love is you're going to have to buy or use your other empty magazines for reloads. Like you can't <laughs> reload. Right. And right. Shoot right. And yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the amount of times that I have to do a reload is, is so few and far between when it comes to defensive shooting. So yes. yeah. yeah, for me, that's not that big of a deal. It yeah. would be nice, but you know, I couldn't justify spending that extra hundred bucks. No, but for competitors like me, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Different. Um, actually talk about that too. So what's in your, in your dry fire class and what kind of tools help people dry fire? Yeah. So like the, uh, the dry fire mag I've, I've been recommending to everybody. Uh, I, I want to get my hands on a Mantis X because oh. I've, I've heard that those actually do work with a dry fire mag. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't tried it out yet, but I need to. And then, you know, if, if people don't have the tools, then, you know, just dry firing on your own. If you just watch and make sure that front sight doesn't dip, make sure your trigger press is right, you know, all that type of stuff. It's, you don't have to spend any extra money. Mm -hmm. uh, snap caps, I tell people are, are pretty much a must. Yeah. And snap caps are super cheap. So I tell people, hey, and you can go on Amazon right now and buy 3D printed snap caps for nothing. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just tell people, hey, get some snap caps, practice, you know, changing out bags, practice your dry fire, that type of stuff. But yep. it's just small and you don't even like, I know I've got a whiteboard, but you can aim it just about anything. You know, like paper plate with a sharpie. But yeah, anything, piece yeah. of paper that's drawn. So yeah, you don't have to have a lot to do dry fire. And as far as the dry fire class goes, it's really a lot of the uh, defensive firearms class just with without firing a shot. Really, mm-hmm. that's all it is. Okay. Do you want to talk about, well, before we talk about that too, um, like the cool fire training kit was another one that I tried at SHOT Show. Have you seen those where it's like CO2 tank, but it, it has recoil? No, I haven't tried that. So cool. I mean, they're expensive. They're like 500 bucks, but yeah, there, there's a tank. So you actually put the air in it. I don't know anything about that stuff, but it was cool. Cause you feel the recoil. Mantis was another one. And then there's like laser pro something. Lasers right. help too in dry fire. Like seeing what just happened when you pull the trigger, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people people like that feedback. You know, they really like the feedback. Uh, in the defensive firearms world, though, feedback from your shots is is not really important, no. right? Because in, a, in an actual defensive shoot, you're not going to see where your hits land. Nope. For, for competitive shooters, yeah, that's super important. Yeah. Super important. But in the defensive shoot, so like in a lot of my classes, I actually use like a negative target. So what I'll do is I'll cut out the center hole in the cardboard target so it's like a uh, it's not an idpa but it's like uspsa target that has yeah. the center hole right in the chest the silhouette I'll actually, yeah i'll actually cut that out so that people don't focus on where those hits are landing oh i love that yeah because people get hung up i see a lot of people peeking over their sides at shots and stuff like that it's like all right you got to break out of that habit it's a bad habit to have in a defensive shoot because you're not going to see where your hits land no nope. i mean you might see a shirt do something like this, maybe, but odds are you're never going to see where that hit lands. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay. So what's in the defensive handgun class where you're actually live firing? Yeah. So the defensive handgun class starts out with everything that you would need if you're going to be carrying. So holster, good belt. And this is where we get into gear recommendations because people figure out, all right, what gear works, what gear doesn't work, that type of stuff. And that's when I can give recommendations. And I try to do that beforehand on the website, you know, say, okay, don't use these types of holsters. Uh, Please sure don't show up good, with a holster. Yeah, oh. you know, floppy holsters, circle holsters, <laughs> shoulder holsters, thigh holsters, pocket holsters. Like, Kill me. None of that. So <laughs> they figure out very quickly, okay, this gear works. This gear doesn't work. Uh, we go over steps of the draw. Uh, communication with either the person they came with or communication to the threat. Uh, which is important. So if you look at the hierarchy of defensive shooting, you've got move, communicate, and then shoot if necessary. Yeah. We work on the the communication part. Once they have the fundamentals of the drawdown and uh, everything else is looking pretty good, reloads, we do uh, clearing malfunctions because that's super important. Yeah. And then if the student is you know, progressing well, we'll get into the very tip of the iceberg when it comes to movement. Gotcha. That's awesome. How often do you see, I mean, uh, like those videos of, of officers, even the live body cams of the malfunction clearing, like the, the Terran tactical shooter, for example, in California, she had to do that to save her life. Right. Yeah. And if, if you've drilled it, then it's usually going to be automatic. Right. And that's, so for all my classes, I, I tell folks go slow. We're going slow on everything. We're going super slow, but when you get into malfunctions, I said, this is the only thing I want you to do fast. I want it to be absolutely automatic. If you come up and you press 
and that trigger goes click, I want you to go tap rack and get back to shooting immediately. Yeah. So yeah. I want to make sure that that student knows that because it's super important when it comes to, you know, body cam footage of that type of thing. Uh, some of them know how to fix malfunctions. Uh, I don't think officers are trained nearly as well as what people think they are. Yeah. I think uh, our county, Roan County, uh, I want to say they do 50 rounds a year to qualify. Hmm. It's like painful yeah. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So if, if they're not out there practicing malfunction clearing, then That's yeah, you can see some uncomfortable body cam footage of officers not knowing what to do uh, to clear malfunctions. And it's it's super important because, you know, the, the first thing I ask when we go over malfunction clearing is what's going to happen, what's more likely to happen, that you need to reload or do you need to do a malfunction? I'll mm -hmm. say, well, reload. I'll say, okay, when can you have a malfunction? On the first round. Yeah. So you need to be able to clear that malfunction before you start working on doing like super fast John Wick style reloads. <laughs> do you love John Wick? Well, he's done. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> It's like my favorite movie. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, even in the competition world too, like I I teach uh, students like, hey, you have a have a jam instead of like taking the mag out and clearing it and doing all of that, go ahead and try and work and see if you can get your slide. And you know, that's that's the biggest thing. When I watch people compete and I've done it, and I I don't you don't think about it. You practice, practice, practice. When you, in the moment you're like, oh, got it done, back. Yeah. Yep. That happened in a live match. People are like you did that really fast. It's like, well, that's right. Yeah, it's it's you know, I was uh, when I was down in doing some training this year in Alabama during one of our drills at a stovepipe. And it was just like, pop, you know, tap rack real quick. And my, my brother who was filming me after it was over, he's like, what did you just do? I said, Oh, I cleared the, I cleared a malfunction. He's like, I didn't see it. Yep. Said, yeah. It's just like, yeah, it has to be automatic to get that cleared. It does. That's awesome. So moving up from there, like, what do you not recommend next? So defensive into like combative, yeah, so the combative class, uh, we start using uh, cover and concealment, okay. and we we move almost the entire class. Okay. So during the entire class, we're we're constantly moving and communicating, and it it just adds another layer of complexity. And it it you know I've got a series of barriers built that I use and teach people how to shoot in different positions, and uh, we'll go over one-handed manipulations, which can be very very tricky because hand and arm injuries occur quite frequently yep. in defensive shoots. So if, you're, if your arms are out here and you're getting shot at, well, your arms are out in front of you. Yep. Uh, there's a really good video that just came out. I'll, I'll need to see if I can find it, send it to you. An officer who gets hit mm -hmm. in his offhand and has to use one hand to yep. you know, engage the threat. So one-handed manipulation is just knowing how to do it. Now, the odds of you doing that you know, may be pretty low, but yep. you know this when you uh when you encounter something new you're not going to learn it on the fly new. so you need to know how to do it beforehand and if you already had some training on how to do that that's pretty important and uh most of the time once we get done with all that it's, that's eaten up the the three four hours that they're there that's awesome how clothing let's talk clothing really quick sure. god i mean i see i don't know how to get it like people take a class and the people that are serious about it, they're like I have to change my clothing. Like, yeah. I can't do this anymore. And you're like, yeah. So like when they show up to you, whether it's defensive or combative, you know, you, you have the recommendation, of course, of pants, belt, whatever, concealed holster. That's not always the case though. So you want to talk about like what people should actually be start thinking about when it comes to wardrobe. 
<laughs> yeah. So when you when you carry a firearm, you got to change your entire wardrobe. You got to change it around a lot, and you got to you got to figure out. Okay, first you got to figure out how are you going to carry. Uh, so it's either appendix, a strong side, whatever you want to do. Uh, so I I will tell you that uh, I was against appendix carry for a long time. Uh, and that came from, you know, Tiger. Tiger, as I'll say. It's like, no, you can't do appendix carry. Uh, I, I took a CQC course, an extreme close quarters combat course oh, from okay. Craig Douglas in uh, North Carolina, March this year. And who's Craig and, for people listening? So Craig Douglas, uh, he is the founder of ShivWorks. Uh, he teaches close quarters stuff. He was a former nar undercover narcotics officer. So and so all of his stuff, you know, when you're when you're doing narcotics stuff, like if if I was dealing drugs, you're not like stretching your arm way out and going, yeah, here you go. Here's your drugs. You're you're right next to somebody. Okay. So he was in cars. He was in rooms. He was in very close quarters when he was doing all these deals. And he quickly found out that the training he got was no good. It was garbage. Yeah. It was total crap. So yeah. he he developed his own training program and like so he's he's absolutely legit. He's yeah. he's much like Tiger is, very calm, explains everything, which is like so if if so for folks out there who watch this, if you have an instructor that tells you here's how you do something and they don't give you an explanation on why you should do it, leave that class or, dem or demonstrate if they can't demonstrate anything. <laughs> Right. But it's, it's, there has to be a reason behind every single action. And he explained all the actions, all the reasons behind it. So we, we use simunitions. We fought on the ground. We fought in a car. We fought standing up very close, wrestling with people. And about half the folks had appendix carry, half folks had strong side carry. And the end result was the exact same. It didn't matter. So that's what changed your mind on like, yes. Placement. So, uh, for me, I tried it out. It it was just too uncomfortable for me. It may may have been may have been the holster, maybe in the gun. You know, I carry a Glock 19, so it's oh, that's a, a bigger yeah. Yeah, it's a bigger gun. Uh, so for me, it, it just didn't work. I was just more comfortable strong side, and you know, I I feel fine with that. And like I said, there was no yeah. difference in in how the fights raw or fight. Yeah. yeah. The other thing too with um close combats too is actually that's when the one-handed shooting can sometimes come into play, right? Like oh yeah, absolutely. Really, first shot is right here before you yeah. can even that's maybe right. ever get the other hand out. So people have no clue that you're really going to be not supportive perfectly. Oh no, 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 no. You're, you're yeah, walking. You might be sideways. <laughs> very, very little of our shooting was fully extended because if someone is within what we call wingspan, which is in touching distance. You would never extend that gun out because they can take control of it. And and believe me, somebody can take control of your gun. Like action meets reaction every time. Yep. So if if your gun is out, somebody can grab that before you can fire a shot. And we yeah. we means tested that during our our car battles. It was basically the the bad guy was the passenger seat. He had a gun. You were the good guy. You were in the driver's seat. You had a gun. And then at some point, the bad guy would pull out his gun and try to hijack you or whatever, rob you. And in every single exercise, all 20 of them, the person who grabbed the gun first was able to control it before the bad guy could fire a shot. Mm. It was just, you can't react fast enough. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, 
so back to the original question. Yeah, so like, it's like, right, yeah, no problem. Sorry. Uh, it's, yeah, it's where to carry. So depending on how you carry is gonna depend on, you know, what your wardrobe looks like. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I like to wear tighter shirts a lot of the time, but as long yeah. as my holster is in the right place and, it, you know, I've got an inside the waistband holster, even with a Glock 19 and a tighter shirt, you know, I'd say somebody who knows what they're looking at could tell what I'm carrying. Uh, most people can't really tell even, even with a Glock 19. Yep. So, so I wrote, um, a blog, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, no, I go wrote a blog about like what to expect, like when you're first starting out, do you remember your first, first couple of weeks, by the way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Were you sweating profusely? <laughs> oh, I had, an, I had, you know, I had a Glock 22, which is a full sized 45 yep. caliber Glock. I was wearing an outside the waistband holster right on the point of my hip at the three o'clock position. You know, my shirt's sticking way out and stuff like that. I'm constantly tugging at my shirt. Super, uh, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. No oh. idea. So that's a lot of people when they show up, we have to go through all that kind of thing. And I have to explain to them, okay, well, you're going to want to carry over here instead of right in front of your hip. You probably want it inside the waistband holster. Yes. Uh, here's how you clear the garment when you go to draw, that type yeah. of stuff. <clears throat> but yeah, clothing, it's especially for women yeah clothing. the leggings ladies oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh like <But>, you know, <laughs> the the filster filster makes a, the enigma have you seen uh, that? i saw that i want to try it Let's yeah really it's pretty cool. slick you really can customize that too uh, i'm yeah. yeah i mean but then you go back to skirts dresses and all that i don't wear that so i have no idea what that's like <laughs> yeah me either I mean, <laughs> really you don't dress up like in no. dresses on the weekends <laughs> no no take care of when i wear my skirt Man, I love it. Um, going in loops though too. Um, that first like concealed carry moment, like you said, you know what to look for, right? So there are a ton of people out there surprised that concealed carry and people are oblivious because there's 90% that have no freaking clue. So even if you have a full size, even if you have it in the waistband, you're concealed carrying, there's printing or what have you. There is so many people not watching. No, no, <laughs> there really aren't. I'm, I'm watching, uh, you know, I've taught my wife to watch and she'll point it out every once in a while, but for most of the population, they don't know. No. And I wanted to go in another loop, loop de loop too. Um, what are your thoughts on open carrying and why? <laughs> uh, so as a defensive firearms instructor, I never recommend open carrying. Uh, I guess it has its time and place. So if I go for a hike, yeah. every once in a while. So I've got a, a custom holster that attaches to the uh, appendix part of my uh, backpack that I carry. So I do some long distance hiking. You know, I've, I've hiked 240 miles of the Appalachian Trail and I'll do that, you know, every once in a while. But, you know, so on, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the appendix part of the support band that runs around your, your backpack, you know, it's super easy to tuck something right there. But even there, it can get uncomfortable as you're walking, your arm can rub against it, stuff like that. And it's, there, there's just no way to clear a garment and, and draw from that position. Yeah. But just out and about, yeah, I don't recommend open carrying. It's, uh, if you want to do it, that's your right to do it. But I just, I don't recommend it. There's, there's too many videos, surveillance videos of guys getting their guns snatched out of their holster by somebody. So it's just, it's just not a good idea to do yeah. that. And if you go back to like, even concealed and you're pulling out and someone grabs it, that's exactly what they're going to do. And say like, 
you're the only one with a gun around and, and a situation goes down, you're going to be the target for them to disarm you first. And then everybody's screwed, right? You want yeah. that surprise factor on the side. Yep. Anyways. Yeah. I wanted people to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then the other thing I wanted to ask, and it's okay to be brutally honest with this one, Tim. Um, how does, or does it at all, how does competition shooting, whether it's IDPA, USPSA, all of that, does it help with defensive, you know, tactics and all of that, or does it make it worse? Like cover concealment, all of that. <laughs> yeah. So competition is a game, right? We're, you know, I've, I've done some competition shooting and you're constantly gaming it, right? You're like, okay, yeah. if I can transition from here to here, and then I can do a reload here and plan everything out, get all that stuff going. Uh, and obviously there's nobody shooting back at you. And there's, <laughs> there's some, there's some really creative stages every once in a while. I, I remember one, we were a porta potty and then they opened the door and we had to draw from seated position to porta potty and stuff like that. So like that. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, whatever happens every day, right? Have to shoot from a porta potty. But the <laughs> one thing I think competition shooting is great for, especially uh, like an IDPA, is gear testing. Yes. Like you can figure out, yeah, this gear works, right? Yeah. This this mag pouch is in the right position. Like when I go to do my reloads, everything's perfect. Is my gun working right? You know, and you, you see a lot of guns malfunction out in the competition world. Uh, but <clears throat> I think just, just getting trigger press, actually moving while shooting, because that's super important in defensive firearm shooting, learning how to move and shoot, mm -hmm. uh, how to stay behind cover, how to lean out from cover. And, and it, you know, leaning out from cover during matches is not nearly the same as what it would be in an actual defensive shoot yeah but you can still kind of get that okay i need to make sure that i'm tucked in behind this and lean out and shoot i'm tucked behind cover when i reload that type of stuff clearing malfunctions yep. that type of stuff so i think i think the biggest thing for me was gear test yeah really. i like that yeah retention guys because my magazine oh, yeah. yeah. fall out <laughs> that's not gonna help you <laughs> nope Oh, the other thing I actually, I wanted to laugh about is that when you talk about the porta potty, I think I pee in more porta potties or like in the woods. <laughs> no, this is real at ranges yeah. because they don't have enough. Oh, no. They don't have bathrooms yeah. and that's females true. are screwed. So I was like, that is actually when it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately, I don't have a bathroom at my range. So I'm saying. So I have to preface every email with <laughs> just so you're aware. There is no bathroom at my range. I've got the woods and that's it. Yep. Yep. So my, my gun, uh, my cart thing is right next to me. I have all my three gun stuff. There's toilet paper in there. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I've been there. Um, okay. So anything else you want to touch about with like your, your handgun training stuff? Uh, as far as the classes go, no, it's when you get into those classes, you'll, you'll realize that you know, we, we could teach a ton of, uh, like really tactical stuff and go over all these really cool drills, like hanging upside down and shooting and crawling under your car and all this other stuff. But you really want, want stuff to be practical. And I tell everybody, Hey, look, all these things on their own are not complicated. They're super simple. They're very, very simple. But once you start stacking everything, that's when you can start to get complicated. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I wish people would do more is force on force stuff, uh, because you will see people's, 
you will see somebody's real level of defensive training when they do force on force. Like when somebody's running at them with a fake knife or drawing uh, an airsoft gun, you see very, very quickly that stress level go through the roof and people just fall down to whatever level of training that they're at. Yep. So force on force, I wish everybody would do. I wish every police department would have that several times a year because it is, it's, that is the true means test. That's as close as you can get to real life without getting shot. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I know we're on tangents, but I just, this is brilliant. Um, can you talk about like concealed carry or not concealed carry, but like carrying in your home, like people, you know, they come home and they're like, oh, I'm lax about it. I'll just set this down. I'll put this in my safe. I'll unload my gun. Like, it's just... Yeah. I don't know. I, I take mine everywhere. I have my next yeah. when I work. Like if your gun is not here or here or whatever, then what? Yeah. If, if you're wearing pants, you should be carrying a gun. Yeah. Uh, just go on YouTube and look up home invasions. And that'll, that'll make you want to carry a gun in your house because, you know, right now it, it takes about eight seconds for somebody to kick in your door and find your master bedroom. Yeah. That's not enough time to open your safe. It's not enough time to run to the closet or not enough time to run to your nightstand. Nope. By the time you register what's happening, it's too late. So I, and I, I get crap for it. Uh, I do too. Oh, why, why are you carrying at home? Why are you carrying in your house? You know, you, what are you, what are you afraid of? It's like, listen, if somebody, because as, as much as you want to think about it, your house is not impervious. No. Like if, if I didn't have to worry about, forensics or getting caught or or whatever i can get in anybody's house in about three seconds i can get in i can i can throw a brick through a window i can throw a chair through a window i can kick open the front door or the back door which is usually never as secure as the front door yeah all it takes is one kick i'm in your house yep. and then all i gotta do is run in find out where you're at or find out where your bedroom's at that type of stuff and that is not enough time for somebody to react no so i tell no. people carry all the time even in your house yep yeah people make fun of me but one of the comforting things i guess just i, I know I go back to competition is like when i have people stay over for competitions on weekends like it's normal like we're in a room or if we do lay down or watching the couch or on the couch and it's not wearing pants whatever but you know putting putting the gun on the counter or putting the gun right sure. next to you or yeah. under your pillow or, or it's, it's a normal thing, I guess. And like when, again, traveling, I remember with Malin, Gabe and my friend, Andy and I, we all came out, we're just, you know, we've got our holster and our guns yeah. and we're all loaded. Yeah. And I feel like you all should have your own firearm. I mean, even Malin, who is just this newer, like, you know, concealed carry person and, and shooter, she had it. Nobody's responsible for, for other people, right? That's you right. are. That's right. So, you know, what happens if, if she goes to the bathroom and then we leave or something, you know, anyways. Yep. Yep. I love this. I love this kind of stuff. Okay. Let's move into carbine. Okay. Um, so kind of same, same ish. I, there's a whole difference in, you know, size and length and all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. talk me, talk to me about like the, the defensive and the combative uh, carbine classes. Yeah. So defensive carbine classes, we start out, start out how to set up a defensive rifle. Uh, because a defensive rifle obviously is much different than a competition rifle or a target rifle or a well, hunting rifle. Not obvious. So you can explain that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> defensive rifles, uh, you got two things. So here's my, here's my defensive. Card. That's cool. it's super simple, super simple. Lightweight. Right? And it's lightweight. It's, yep. it's just a hair over five pounds. 
because when you're when you're toting something like this for eight hours uh, mm -hmm. during a class, the weight of this thing matters. Yep. Like every ounce matters. And then it has to be really simple. So I've got a red dot. Uh, it's a SIG Romeo 5 with the shake awake. It just comes on. It's very nice. Backup iron sights, they're already, they're, they're fixed, right? They're not flip ups. So they stay up. That way I don't have to dick around with trying to hit them if I need to. <laughs> the, uh, the charging handle is a certain brand. So down at Shootrite, we have tested every single charging handle you can possibly think of. This is really? the only one that has not sheared in half. Okay, what is it? This, I, hang on. Let me look at my website real quick and I will tell you. It's not the Raptor, is it? No, it is not a Raptor. I like the Raptor. It huh. is one that people don't really know about. It is the TacOps CQB charging handle. Okay, write that down, folks. That's awesome to know. Okay. Yeah. If you go to uh, lfxtraining.com, it's my gear recommendations are on the website. Yeah, but he's this got is, all these resources. This is the only one that we found that would not break because these things will torque and stuff like that. If you torque it pretty bad, you can snap these things in half. Thanks, Malin. I've seen it. She's yeah. done it. Yeah, <laughs> I've gun. seen it. I've seen it. You're like, oh, it's a charging handle. It's made of aluminum or steel or whatever. Oh. They will snap right in half. Yeah. This is the only one we found that, that does it. It's oversized, which I always recommend. Hey, you're going to change something. It changes the charging handle because your standard AR comes with that teeny tiny charging handle. Yep. I need to be able to grab this with one hand. Yep. Uh, fixed link stock. So for most people, like 99% of the population, this fixed length stock is going to fit. So you don't have to worry about moving it back and forth to figure out where the right, right length is, right length of pull and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the collapsible stocks are good for folks that have to get in and out of vehicles Yeah, a lot, like helicopters or cars or things like that. Yeah. For yeah. most of the folks, a fixed length stock is going to work. And the thing with that is like, if I have to do that, that malfunction to clear this by doing the, the mortar strike malfunction, I don't have to collapse the stock first. Yeah. Yeah. And go watch some videos of people getting their hands caught in the stock when they try to do that. Oh yeah. We were talking about mortaring shotguns actually today with a friend. <laughs> well, nice. But yeah, no, that's not fun. <laughs> and then everything else. So, you know, the trigger I changed out, it's a, uh, hang on, let me look that one up too. Sorry. The, uh, it was a great salesman. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The trigger is an ALG. Okay. So the when you get into defensive firearms use, you hear, you know, okay, well, I want that light trigger. I want the really, really, really light trigger. It's like uh, <clears throat> don't. nobody's gone to jail for a light trigger, but you could spend several hundred thousand dollars in court defending yep. the use of a lighter trigger. Uh, there have been cases where people had to defend themselves and say, okay, well, why'd you put that really, really, really light trigger in your gun? And they had to defend themselves and yep. it can cost you a lot of money. So this is, the trigger is not light, but it's very, very crisp, right? Yeah. So it's been polished and everything like that. And that's what you want. Cause if you pull a, a stock air trigger, <laughs> your trigger snobs like we are, I you am. Know, they're just trash. It's disgusting. Trash. I can't even, people like show me a rifle and I'm like, I don't want to play with it if the trigger isn't changed out. So I'm good. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> and then you know a sling a sling is an absolute uh, absolute must. two point so, right yeah two point sling uh, nobody nobody uses single point slings anymore it's uh, all two point slings yeah, i know uh, people <laughs> yeah some people do but they're dumb yeah two uh, point <laughs> yeah a, a single point sling especially for a guy because when you drop that and it swings down it's coming straight down at you so <laughs> you want that two point 
And then uh, as far as the light goes, I use this, uh, the Surefire SuperTac X. It's super bright and it projects that tight beam. So even out to like 200 yards, I can identify what I'm shooting at. That's cool. So I shot this in the dark at 100 yards. I just got to tap it on real quick. I could spot the target, turn it off and make hits nice. on that target without even seeing the target. And then and barrel length is 16? Uh, yeah, so this is a 16 barrel. I mean, I'm not hung up on barrel length. No, I'm uh, just curious. And yeah, then flash hider or muzzle brake? Or... Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a, a flash hider, but I bought this because I've got a suppressor that I'll throw on this every once in a while when I want to, cool. you know, not annoy the neighbors. And And really, that's about it. There's nothing complicated about this. You want it to be nice and simple because folks that come out with ARs that have a bunch of crap hanging all over them, they figure out very quickly, hey, stuff's getting knocked off, like some lights that have the uh, the wire that runs down here. I've seen those get caught in stuff, rip the oh, lights yeah. off. The press like pad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you just want something really, really simple, really lightweight yeah. and reliable. Yep. And that's about it for your defensive carving. And then, you know, for, for my carving classes, there's not a whole lot different than the handgun classes. It's just the gear is different. And like maneuvering. Everything else, everything else is going to be pretty much the same. Yeah. Right. There's a few different things to learn. And in the, the very beginning carving class, we go over how to lubricate everything, uh, how to tear it down. I talk about how it should be set up, stuff like that. But then everything else is the same, right? Move, communicate, shoot if necessary. And you're doing all the same sorts of things. Yeah. You know? And then if somebody wants to come out and take the, uh, the handgun carbine course, you know, we talk about how to transition, but it's, it's all the same stuff. It's just yeah. a different, different platform. Um, how about this too? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe so. Uh, I feel like sometimes retaining magazines comes into play ish, maybe in combat of maybe not. I mean, it's so depends. I think the last time I used an AR mag pouch <laughs> was probably like 10 years ago. Mm, okay. Like I can fit two AR mags in my back pocket in my jeans. Oh, that's cool. So if so you think about it. Female pants don't do that. Yeah, because you guys don't have pockets or whatever. <laughs> okay, you get it. And, and if you got if you got cargo pants, that's, oh, that's even more pockets, right? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when I, I recently took a class uh, from a training group that will remain unnamed because the class was terrible. Uh, it was a carbine class. And these people had like tack vests and all this stuff hanging off of them. This one guy had a radio on his back. Like, God, what are you doing? You calling in airstrikes or something? I don't know what's, and all these people had all this stuff all over them. I'm walking out there with just my AR and a couple of mags in my back pocket. Yeah. Like, Why do you guys have all this stuff? You're not going to, you're not going to go to your car and throw on your Great vest. Your, yeah. You're not going to have all this stuff on you. If you have to use this for self-defense, it's going to be in your house, more than likely, yep. or around your house or on your property, something like that. So you're not going to be throwing on a vest or any, any garbage like that. So super simple. I mean, mag pouches are really good, but you can pretty much do everything you want by just throwing your mags in your pockets. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, it's like if I've got a mag loaded up in my AR and I got two in my back pocket, that's 75 oh, rounds. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, handgun carving. That's a good one though. People, 
<laughs> I see a lot of pistol shooters that have no clue how to transition or run two guns or master two platforms or think about all of that, which is, which is the difference. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay. And then the other one that I love that you do, is kind of cool vehicle defense. Yeah. So, uh, using a gun in and around your vehicle. And a lot of people don't even think about that. There's a lot going on that can get super complicated. Yeah. And that's something that if you've never done it before, you can really get a lot of stuff messed up. Mm -hmm. Just like even how to get your gun out of the holster. I'm wearing a seatbelt. How do I move my hands? I got to swim underneath this. I got to go here. I got to, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And, you know, shifting your body to move in around the vehicle. Okay. Do I need to get out of the vehicle? Once I get out of the vehicle, what do I do? How do I move? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on and people just don't understand Love it. All the nuances behind, you know, fighting in and around your vehicle. Yeah. Or like if the carbine is somewhere in, in the vehicle, are you a fan too of like the mounts for pistols <laughs> on no. the cars? Yeah. <laughs> One right there, fully loaded, like what? Or mat. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, where, where it on your holster? What if you get into an accident? You know, that thing's going to go flying and you will have no idea where it's at in your car. Just leave That's it in your holster. It's insane. Yeah. So interesting. Anything else you want to touch about? I know you do private too, and you have women's classes, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, anything else you want to do that before we close out that section? <laughs> no, I think that's about it. I mean, that's, uh, that covers pretty much all the classes that I do teach. Uh, I would like to do more shotgun stuff, but that's, that is not a very popular class. I know. It's uh, so sad. Yeah, you shoot, you shoot several hundred rounds of of shotgun in a day you're kind of done so you don't get a whole lot of people that want to come out and, and learn the shotgun so much fun oh anyway it is fun it's very fun yeah not as practical eh? yeah well <laughs> um okay so all these certifications and and we'll go through a lot of them because i just think they're awesome but you did get the nra certification which you kind of have to teach when you're not yeah. military law enforcement blah 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 that's yeah the, yeah the class um but you have the tennessee state certification for teaching classes but then you have a lot that instructors don't have. So, you know, we were talking about a little bit about instructors and I don't want to diss a lot of them, but a lot of them are out there to make a buck, right? Sure. They do the basics and they're like, yep, got it. I'm going to make some money. No, um, I'm going to list these off, but you have high angle rescue. You have confined space rescue. You have hazardous material emergency. Oh, you probably have some more. This is just the ones I pulled off your website. Um, what are those? <laughs> yeah, so those I actually got through my work. Uh, so I work in a uh, industrial manufacturing facility. Cool. Uh, I'm a I'm a data analyst. That's what I do there. So I I write a desk. But you know we have a lot of uh, vessels, tanks, stuff like that. We have a lot of really high elevated platforms. We also use a lot of hazardous materials at the plant. Yeah. So through our work, we could. Uh, opt in to be on like our hazardous materials team, our confined space rescue team, the high angle rescue team, stuff you like that. So, yeah. So I did all of them. And, you overachiever. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so they, they would come in and you get, you know, you, we get annual training every year. We go over all this stuff, but uh, learned a lot about, you know, doing like high angle rescue is probably the most fun because you get to play with a lot of ropes and harnesses and build haul systems and, you know, learn how to, okay, if somebody's hurt down inside of a tank, I can go down, rappel down in, 
strap them to a stretcher, build this haul system and get those people hauled up out of there with the rest of my team, things so, like that. But wait, are these yeah. real people like during the dummy practice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we practice, we have somebody you know, lay down the stretcher and you know act like they're hurt. So we have to package them up in the stretcher and then haul them out of there. Either you can haul them vertically or horizontally, <laughs> just depending Sorry. on, right. Because in, in some of our vessels, right, the, the opening is like this yeah. big around. So you can't bring somebody up you know, horizontally, you got to turn them on their side and go up vertically straight out of the hole. And then all that stuff worked, all that stuff translates to, to, to any other place where you'd have to do high angle rescue. Yeah. So it's like somebody's hurt on a ledge on a cliff or something like that. You know, I can build a, a system to get somebody out of there or either lower them down. And that's, so that's beneficial been as a hiker. Well, oh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. It's awesome. And just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's nothing, uh, uh, you know, we've had to, we've had emergencies at the plant, obviously, that we've had to respond to. Usually it's mostly like a guy gets somewhere and he has like a heat stroke or, yeah. you know, gets heat stress and passes out or something like that. We got to get him out of there. Uh, but knowing all that stuff is actually, uh, it's, it can be fairly practical. Like yeah. when you, when you understand like, okay, what is specific gravity? Like, if if I know the specific gravity of a certain gas, I can tell you, hey, don't go get in the ditch because all that stuff's going to settle in a ditch, get someplace higher yeah. or yeah. vice versa, right? If it's something that goes up into the air, okay, let's move uh, this way, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's it has been pretty practical. I, I enjoy doing it. Uh, it's, you know, it's just something that, you know, we go through once a year and I always enjoy doing it. And that's something I can always take back. Like I got a bunch of climbing gear in the garage right now. Right. So, uh, cool. And yeah. can civilians take these classes? Yeah. As long as you get with the right group, most of the time they offer them to places. Usually it's going to be places like, uh, like firemen or yeah. any first responders that work in any kind of industrial environment. Yeah. Still, I mean, <sighs> I don't know when, when you're on the range a lot or, or yeah, you travel as much as we do, or I don't know. You just never know anymore, especially with the riots too, that were happening. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, what is confined space rescue? Like, so it's, it's kind of the other piece of the puzzle there. So like I said, all these vessels uh, are considered confined spaces, right? So they're, they're a place where a person wouldn't normally be and there's limited egress to that place I just thought of so that, chocolate factory sorry go ahead yeah yeah that's it that's that's pretty much it it could be anything so it's basically like okay there's this big tank that we normally somebody normally is not going to be in but they right. go in there to do maintenance for some reason right so you got to figure out okay if that person goes down in there how do we get them out safely because yeah. so an, an alarming statistic that a lot of people don't know because you see a lot of this in rural areas like with wells uh, or any pits that are dug, or uh, excavation projects, things like that. Those are considered confined spaces. Yeah. So when you think about that type of stuff, there's there's a shocking statistic that you could save 66% of lives in confined spaces if you wow. never attempted a rescue. 66% of the deaths are by people who have tried to rescue other people. Oh because they didn't know what was in that confined space and they went in and they went down themselves. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of those things. It's like, you have to weigh your life and your team's life versus the person in that confined space. Wow. So it's, it's, Heavy. 
Yeah, it's very stressful because when we do a lot of these drills, we're on a timer. It's yeah. like, okay, all of our stuff is packed away in the trailer. You've got three minutes, right? Because you got the call. You've yep. got to unload all this stuff, figure out some way to get that guy out, go in, and then get him out in less than three minutes. Is this because, like the Kobayashi Maru test? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. I have so many like, but yeah, it's your setup for failure for some of them, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And it's, constant, yeah. It, if, if you get there too late, it's not a rescue anymore. It's a recovery. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to weigh that that type of stuff. And, you know, we, we have protocols at, and most places have protocols and they yeah. say, okay, uh, typically, so per OSHA's rules, you have to have what's called a whole watch, which is basically a person that just sits at the entrance and watches everybody. They don't do anything. They just watch people. And if something goes wrong, they radio for help. They're not, they're not even allowed to attempt a rescue. Oh God. There, is there someone like with a badge or like that's, that's the designated person or you just identify? It's usually just like, usually it's like a new person. Yeah. Okay. Say, hey, new guy, you just sit here and keep an eye on everybody. If somebody, somebody goes down, call us on the radio. So I probably have a dumb question with that. Um, do you think that training could be applicable, sorry, to like animal rescues sometimes or no? It could be because like, uh, you know, you see plenty of animals that, that fall into ditches and wells and things like that. Fences. And you, have, you have to, you have to know the basics of a haul system and rigging and things like that, because it's like, yeah. you know, you can't just throw a rope around something and pull it out. Oh like, no. You've got to figure out, okay, so I, how do I make a, a block and tackle? Like most people don't know that. Like if they had all the equipment laid out in front of them, you say, okay, make a four to one block and tackle. Huh? People are going to say, what? Yeah. So knowing that, that type of stuff, like what pieces of equipment are, right? So if somebody showed up or let's say you were out somewhere and, and somebody actually did have some equipment to, to help somebody out, having that knowledge would be pretty good. Say, yeah. okay, yeah, I could make a block and tackle with this, or I can, you know, even if I didn't have a block and tackle, I could use this this pulley system to, to increase my mechanical advantage and pull somebody out of the hole much easier. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into that. You know, the average person just doesn't even have a clue about that. No. no, again, 90% of this population has no common sense, has no clue what's happening and have no skills to do anything themselves. <laughs> no, great. Very true. Great. Uh, I did want to see if you have any nuggets for the hazardous material emergency. I don't know a lot. Is there like some like quick tips you could give civilians of if they see a gas leak or see what you smell or a gas explosion or I don't know, like what do we do? <laughs> uh, so what should we know? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a little booklet, man. I don't have it with me. It's in my car. There's this tiny little booklet that has, so, you know, like if you see a, a tanker driving down the road, it's got a little diamond placard on the back of it. Hazard. That diamond placard has a number on it. That number indicates what's in that tank. Okay. So if you have that little booklet, and let's say that tanker falls over and you know spills stuff out of it, you can look that up really quickly in that booklet and say, okay, this is this. And it will tell you, like, here's the minimum safe distance you need to be away from that. Cool. Okay. And... I'm, I'm sure there's apps out there that do that. Yeah. I haven't looked. Uh, like I said, I've just got a book just in case I'm out somewhere where I don't have a good cell phone signal. Yep. But you can just punch that number in. And at the very least, you could say, okay, we need to be X amount of feet away from this thing. Right. You know, you and know it'll tell you, yeah, it'll say, here's the minimum safe distance. Here's the recommended distance. Yeah. So if you like, can. You know, if it's something really bad, like sulfuric acid or something like that, it's like, okay, we need to be a thousand feet away from this thing. 
Yeah. So we all these people gawking that shoes. are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all these people that are gawking that are 50 feet away say, all right, listen, you guys need to move back because if you breathe this in, your the, the fluid in your lungs will actually turn into sulfuric acid and you will burn from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good thing. And I'm assuming too, your, your company pays for these trainings. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was something like, even I know this, I digress, but like, if you have the opportunity with a job with college or anybody listening, like to, to get certifications, whether it's for, you know, medical or whatever, do it and take it. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. it's so silly, but like when I was teaching and, or working at the university and I already had my master's degree, I was thinking about getting another one because it'd be paid for, <laughs> but I was like, I'm not sadistic, but I got free library books. I had so much reading that I did and I got, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I got like a, another certification. I got my project management certification. Like I was just like certifications. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you can, if you get somebody else to pay for your education, <laughs> jump in with both. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to mention or talk about a little bit, you have really impressive cr- credentials and, and like legit, nobody would like kind of question, like you can always question instructors, right? Ask questions. I oh yeah, for sure. Are afraid to do that. For sure. Can you touch on how sometimes certifications like doesn't really mean anything like the NRA one sometimes? Um, and can you touch on a little bit like about what to ask an instructor to vet them? Yeah. So for instructors, uh, really what I'm, when I'm in a class, I'm looking for how they teach really more than certifications. Yeah. Uh, so there's another couple of big ones that are, are touchy with some folks, and that's uh, military and police. That is not the be all end all for an instructor. Like if somebody was a, a clerk in the army for two years, then I'm, you know, the odds of them being decent at, at firearms instruction is probably not great. Yeah. And the same way with police officers, you know, we've talked about you know, the training requirements for police officers is usually really low. And that's not their fault. It's because, you know, it's budgetary issues, it's things like that. And, you know, just because someone used to be a cop and we've, we've got plenty of at the place that I work and I would not take a firearms class from any of them. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So uh, now also, I I would also look at lineage, like we talked about before, like where, where did your instructor learn from? Yeah. And if it was just the army, uh, okay maybe maybe you know that guy may be a really good instructor yeah. maybe but just because uh they were in the army or a police officer does not necessarily mean they're a good instructor but right. also so like good instructors they're gonna have they're gonna have years of experience they're gonna have some bona, bona fides right so they're gonna be you know they say okay here's some classes they've taken i also tell people uh see if they have some former students that you could talk to, former or current students, yeah. and ask them what they think. Uh, now, for, you know, for some classes, hey, that may not work. But yeah, yeah I, I would see what, what their experience is, what their lineage is, who did they learn from. And then, you know, if all that checks out, go take a class. And yeah. you might be out a few hundred bucks, sure. But, uh, you know, in this, this class that I took last time, the one that I, you know, wasn't happy. You know, I, I did pick up a, a little tidbit of information that I, I could have gotten in 10 minutes, 
from a PowerPoint presentation, but it was, it was something I'd never seen before, but I was just like, okay, I, I can take this with me. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, going to learn something. It's just not worth the time, money and effort. For true. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Um, but I think a lot of people are afraid to uh, ask questions of instructors. I mean, I'll be honest, I've had a lot of instructors that teach and they don't carry, they don't have their gun on them at that point. They're not serious about, about that. Right. And again, I'm not talking about competitions all the time. I just, that's who I am. Right. Sure. Do they compete? Um, you know, have they shot a different, different like carbine rifle shotgun? Oh, I said the same thing, carbine <laughs> pistol, uh, shotgun, like, are they proficient? Um, the other thing that's out there is the medical training, um, that instructors like do or don't have sometimes it's like general CPR first aid, like, I don't know. Do they even carry tools on them? Do they have a knife? Do they, there's just something that's, that I look for of like, if you're not even equipped with some of those, how are you teaching some of this stuff? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, I personally, I think there's a few minimum medical things that instructors need to have with them. Tourniquets, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, Israeli battle dressing, you know, things like that. And it's, there's a, there's some minimum stuff in there. You know, I don't, I don't need them to have a full, no. you know, field surgery kit. Yeah. But something to keep me alive long enough until the paramedics get there. Yeah, I'd like to see cool. that. Yeah. <laughs> and do you touch on that when people come in? Like your your like safety brief is uh what's what are we gonna do in case of emergency in a class? Yeah, yeah, always. It's it's one of those things that that you pretty much have to go over. And say, okay, here's what's gonna happen in case of an emergency, right? Yeah. And people, you say that nonchalant. There, there's people like in Florida. It's different training than Tennessee. It's not a PowerPoint with that in it. It's, anyways. <laughs> um give me a little pitch uh how are you different from other instructors out there well uh that's a good question since i haven't taken a lot of classes from any local instructors (laughs) uh but i i think i bring a different perspective uh based on who i have trained under so i i've received some of the best training in the nation in my opinion and I always bring that back with me, right? So for the for folks who come to see me, they are getting the exact same training as if they had gone to Tiger McKee. I teach his material. Uh, and that, that was one of the things that I agreed to with Tiger. He said, hey, if you're gonna learn under me, I want you to teach my material. And I believe in what he teaches, yeah. right? And so I, everything he teaches makes sense. And it all has a purpose. It all has a reason. There's no fluff around it, right? Yeah. Like I said, there's nothing complicated about what we do. Yeah, It's all very simple, but you have to stack everything and continue learning after that and start stacking all that stuff. Can you say that for the people in the back? Did you say continue learning? Continue learning. Always. And I'm, you know, I'm a trainer. I've got a lot of experience. I train under one of the best trainers in the nation, but I yeah. still go take training from other people. Yeah. I think there's there's out there's little tidbits out there that you can grab and take back with you. Yep. So yeah, always, always, always get more training. I needed that. Um, <laughs> uh, so what do you wish more civilians um, or just people? Okay, well, we'll talk about like the Tennessee law changing, but like, what do you wish more people knew or understood about getting proper firearms training? Why it is important? Why it matters? Why even if you have constitutional carry, why you should do it? Well, it's, you, uh, there's the old adage, right? You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training. Yep. And if you've had zero training, that is the level you will fall to. Yeah. And I, I see it during force on force classes all the time. 
uh, people who have uh, very little training or who don't practice that training will fall back to whatever they reverted to. And you see it in even the most basic classes, right? So mm -hmm. we were teach beginners classes. You say, okay, here's how you hold the gun. And then when you get onto the range, they start, you know, like crossing thumbs and doing this stuff. They're like, okay, stop, let's stop. Let's fix your grip. Why are you doing it that way? I don't know. I got a little stressed out and immediately reverted back to what they thought. Yeah. So yeah. getting that training and practicing that training is going to help you in a defensive situation because you, you don't learn things on the fly. No. You don't, you don't figure out what works in the 1.5 seconds it takes for somebody to attack you. Yeah. So having that training and having kind of that instinctual training uh, is super important in defensive firearms use. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you talked about the grip every single time they go on the range and it happens with new people and old people, they don't check the 17 things they have to think about. <laughs> I say seven, no. but it's practice is when you need to stop. And it's, it's a lot it's for not moving, right. <laughs> Stance and grip and side alignment and trigger and, and prepping the trigger and learning all of that. It's too much. It's overwhelming, but they just go back. Like you said, thumb behind it, crossing thumbs, teacup, like, yeah. I, and yeah. they don't stop. If you no. don't stop, you're, you're worse. Like you're better off if you're having a bad day to stop shooting, right. Than yeah. just going and practicing yeah. bad habits. And that's, you know, that's one of those things I, I emphasize in either the beginners classes or the, the concealed carry or, or carry classes in Tennessee. It's, you know, we talk about, okay, this is the very tip of the iceberg and this really isn't defensive training. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I go over the example of like the tooler drill, the 21 foot rule. Say, okay, how, how fast do you think it takes somebody to cover 21 feet? You're like, uh, five seconds, 10 seconds. So mm -hmm. like, it's 1.5 seconds. Yeah. That's for the average person. I said, can you get your gun out of the holster in 1.5 seconds? And then I asked everybody in the class, how many here have actually trained on how to get a gun out of a holster? And inevitably, no one raises their hands. And I think that's a huge wake up call for them to realize, okay, maybe I actually should get at least training on how to the basic fundamentals of using a gun for self-defense, because just shooting a gun accurately is about this much mm -hmm. of defensive firearm shooting. hundred percent. I love this. Oh, um, so talking about constitutional carry, I know July 1st, Tennessee, uh, passed the, the constitutional carry and, and there's other States doing that too. So I have a couple of questions. We'll break them down. Uh, what do you think about this for our, our second amendment rights? I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, people say, Oh, aren't you going to lose money? It's like, yeah, I don't care. I, I hate teaching the carry classes anyway, uh, to be honest. I knew you're, yeah, I'll wait for that. I hate, I absolutely hate teaching the carry classes. It sucks, uh, y'all. We have to read word for free. Yeah, word for and word out of the, the PowerPoint. Slides are wrong. Like I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that we don't have to have the government's permission to exercise a right. Yeah. But as a trainer, I think everybody should get training. Yeah, that's where it's everybody sucks. should get training, but I don't think it should be government mandated. Yeah. And that's the thing. How do you do both, right? Not lose your rights, but then try and require training. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle. And, and that's what people don't understand. So they're just like, oh, I pass it. There was some, some person was like, oh, I pass. I'm fine now. I was like, yeah, for the state of Tennessee, you step into a different state after that and they don't have it. And then what? Yeah. Like, bye, you're illegal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're there's not, still, I mean, there's actually still quite a few 
benefits to getting your permit. Yeah. Uh, like reciprocity. Like reciprocity, carrying in parks and greenways and stuff like that. So there's there's benefits to getting the permit. Yeah. But yeah, I, I am glad that you don't have to have a permit though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then yeah, I was I kind of touched on it, but what do people or most people not understand about constitutional carry outside of their state or about other states legislature? Legislature, I can't say that. Yeah, no worries. Uh yeah, so it's and and I I emphasize this in my classes and say, listen, if you're gonna carry a gun, you have to be a student of firearm law. Yeah. You gotta know the laws, the current laws, and you gotta stay up on new laws when they pass. And if you go to a different state, you have to know those states' laws. And maybe you might have to know what the city law is or the <laughs> county law is. So it, you really have to know a lot about firearms law in order to carry a gun. But yeah. as far as constitutional carry goes, right, it's, you've got to know what's going on in other states now. So yeah. if you choose yeah. not to get a permit and you're going to go to another state, you got to know what's going on in that state. Like, yeah, I mean... The other one was like the Cherokee National Forest. That's right land, and that changes things too. Which is yep. they're, they're in favor, of course, but for certain places, some not. The other confusing thing is like there's some signage that's outdated, where it's like, oh, you can carry in these places, but the signage is still there. It says they don't. And we're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. So if you if you read up on that law, so especially like in state parks and stuff, where it says no guns allowed, uh, when they wrote the law, they said that they only had to change the signs when the signs needed updated. So if the sign is pre, when that law passed, they didn't have to change it. So there's a lot of like people roll into a state park and they say, oh, there's no guns in here. I thought we could have guns in here. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion behind it. But if you are a student of law, then you would understand that. Yeah. And if they had some pro Second Amendment people, you know, maybe they would take the sign down. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Pretty paid over. Right. State park. <laughs> um okay so what is the coolest experience you've ever had not thunder ranch yet no <laughs> What's the coolest thing you've ever done uh so i was thinking about this and i think it was when i went and did uh first person defender with gun talk media cool. so that's that the tom gresham i mentioned earlier so he runs gun talk media so they have a YouTube page that does a lot gun of gun stuff. Media. That's what you were yeah. talking about? You yes, that is media. Tom Gresham, same guy. Okay. <laughs> but, so they do this, this series called First Person Defender. And what they do is they basically, they put somebody into a scenario. They don't tell them what's going to happen. They just say, you're, the, you're in this scenario and stuff happens. Yep. And you yep. basically react to it. And uh, they, had, they had a series of videos. on. You can go on YouTube and watch them right now. And they put out like essentially a casting call said, Hey, if you want to be on one of these, shoot us an email or send us a video of yourself and explain why you want to be on. It's like, Oh, okay. I'll give it a shot. So I just filmed myself and explained who I was and why I wanted to do it. And uh, it was like a day later, somebody emailed me. It was like, wow. Hey, can you come down to Baton Rouge and shoot this video? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I went down to uh, Baton Rouge at this huge training facility and got to be a uh, you know, good guy with a gun. So Chris Serino, who was in Top Shot, he was the host of the show. So I got to meet him. I actually got to go out to dinner with him and Tom Gresham that evening. They invited me out to dinner, uh, which was super cool. And uh, yeah, I, I did the scenario. You, I forgot what, what season it was and what episode, but I'm on there. 
and yeah, it's just me. They interview me at first and I go in and we're in this tiny, tiny little space. It's, it, it's probably so like from here to where you see the wall is, it's probably about that big. And there, there were like three cameramen in there and three other people and Chris wow. and, you know, this guy's walking around, he's agitated and he's yelling at people. And uh, he eventually like starts wrestling with a guy, like goes down on the ground with him. I never shot him mm-hmm. in the, uh, the first scenario. <laughs> I did draw my gun, which I probably shouldn't have done. Uh, they edited <laughs> it out, though. This is the only part that pisses me off. So <laughs> they edited this part out because Chris uh, Serino interviews me afterwards and says, okay, what were you thinking? What was this? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So originally in the video, I thought, you know, when he went to the ground with the guy, he was kind of wrestling around with him. I said, I thought he was going to draw a knife. So I drew my gun because I didn't want to be behind the eight ball on that. Yeah. But they cut all that out. They just feel like you had yeah, no. And they were just like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have drawn your gun. I was like, oh. oh, okay. Anyway, and then they they do another scenario right after that one. So the next scenario, the guy actually shoots the clerk, and I draw and shot him. Okay. But uh, uh, the cool part was, is I was listening to the the podcast or the radio show the Sunday after they did it, and they were really complimentary of my performance, and I was I was so happy with it. I was like sharing it with people and like showing my dad and I was like oh, oh listen listen to what they said it's actually on my website so if you go to the meet your trainer section I actually cut yeah. that little section of audio out and uh yeah I was I was super proud of myself for doing that but that was that was really a lot of fun I actually got to be a bad guy in the next scenario for the next person that came later on in the day so yeah, yeah you didn't know these people cool. right oh no not yeah. a clue. I didn't know who they were they just showed up and I was just like yeah I'm, they because they were looking around they're like oh what are we going to do for this next one it's like all right, somebody want to get shot? I was like, I'll do it. You can go ahead and shoot me. They're like, all right, Tim's going to be the bad guy. That's so cool. Yeah, that, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Do they still do that? I think so. Okay. I believe they're still doing it. That's right. Really cool. And that's one of those things that's, you know, not only was it just fun for me, it's one of those things that you can actually see how people react. It's all force on force. They use simulations mm-hmm. and it's, it's force on force stuff. And you can see how people react to things. And it's yeah. like, uh you know there's there's the old fight or flight adage right but what's the third one freeze yeah which is what most people do anyway as humans like we have to take that information in first so if you've never seen something the first thing you're going to do is freeze dear yeah and one of the uh one of the things i use it as as an example is the uh white settlement church shooting remember that jack wilson so if you watch the video the first two shots go off and everybody in the congregation freezes. Yeah. <laughs> nobody fights. Nobody runs away. They yeah. all freeze, which is a very, very common reaction to when something stressful happens. Oh yeah. So, yeah. You get to see a lot of that stuff and it's really good example. So I, I, and they're only like 10, 15 minutes long. Yeah. And you can, yeah. you can scrub through all the ads and all that kind of stuff. I guess I shouldn't say that, but you know, whatever. But it's, yeah, if you scrub through all that, you know, they're very, very short and you can get a lot of good information and see how people react and kind of like process that and go, oh, well, how would I react in that sort of thing? Right. You know? Yep. And you, you don't know is the answer. No, you don't. You don't know. You don't. So you add some pressure and go to a class, figure it out. Right. A little force on force class. And get yeah. your butt kicked. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Little tidbit, and this is so off tangent. Um, our industry is pretty small. So when yep. you're dropping these names like that, that are 
they're a big deal. And I'm not saying they're not a big deal, right? They're a big deal for people who like look up to these people and like, oh my God, you know him, you've met him. But when you get in the industry, it's just normal. I feel like for oh, some yeah. of us. Yeah. So you feel like you forget those experiences that people have, like, you know, this person, or you do this. And it's, and it's for us, it's like, well, there's only three of us that do that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, and everybody in this industry is like, super nice yeah. so down to earth right so when I went out to dinner it wasn't like I wasn't starstruck it was just right, like right. I was having a conversation with friends right yep. so it's just everybody is is super nice in this industry and I wish that's I, I wish more people knew that from outside of the industry yeah absolutely or that people are willing to help or the other thing too is surrounding your people or surrounding yourself with your people or with people that can bring you up or you can learn from like, or, you know, even if they're on a, like I'm below you on a, on a trainer's level, but there's things that I could teach you too. So there it's, there's things out there that people don't understand. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's pretty cool. Um, so what are your goals next? Like what, what are you working towards or do you have any? Uh, so I just got my building done, uh, which I'm super excited about that. Uh, I actually have a, a space where people can come and be in the shade for a little bit. Uh, so yeah, that's, it's, it's just more of a evolution, right? So it's, I've been doing this for well over 15 years now and it's, it's just kind of slowly, slowly evolving, right? Nothing is happening fast. Uh, you know, yes. the, the old adage or joke is like, it took me 20 years to become an overnight sensation. I was about to say if there was one thing I could have people understand about entrepreneurship, right? They're like, oh my God, you do this. This is how like your life, you're lucky. You're lucky is the worst that I hear, right? It's like, yeah, right. I have been busting my ass since I first yeah. picked up a gun and shot this match, this match, this match, and then doing this marketing and now doing this podcast. Like you, you have to put the work in of consistency. Yeah. And like you said, it 15 years is a long time, but it's also like a short one in, in entrepreneurship, I guess. Yeah. You know, and I tell people this all the time, you know, if I could do, if I could do firearms training full time <laughs> and it would, and it would just pay the bills, you know, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I don't have to make millions of dollars. If I would just pay the bills, I would do it full time, not hard. Just because yeah. I really enjoy it. Uh, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that, that as the clientele base builds and as more word gets out, you know, I start, I'm teaching more and more and more classes. So I use the, um, you know, it was, I teach a class once every six months yeah and then now it's like okay i'm probably teaching something every weekend Absolutely. almost every weekend yeah but i i love doing it and it's Absolutely. just one of the things it's like if i could just keep snowballing this and just keep on doing what i'm doing i don't have to open a huge facility and have you know like a dozen trainers working underneath me or anything like that you know i am perfectly happy just teaching classes small classes on the weekend I, I call myself like a personal trainer when it comes to firearms yeah yeah I don't, I don't teach huge classes of 20 people nope you know like the biggest class I'll teach is five people I was gonna say that goes back to like that genuine um instructor or the person that you're looking for the questions that you're asking I know people in Florida that would have a hundred people for their CCW class that yeah no joke Malin Malin's podcast um, she shot a six shot revolver 22. They handed it to her fully loaded, had her just pull the trigger into a water bucket or a wall, oh a wall God. or something and call a day. That's what Florida does. Here's the why the Florida uh, statute just says you have to live fire in front of an instructor that has the NRA, the law enforcement, blah, blah, blah credentials. Well, they learned how to game it. So live fire, Pew, that live counts. Fire. 
it's just shoot a shot into a berm or something like that and yeah that's it and I get it. Like there's so many people out there with that mindset of like, Oh, I I'm around guns. I know how to carry guns. I hunt and I blah, blah, blah. So like, I just need to go take the class and get it over with rather than being open to like, okay, I should probably learn or listen or whatever. So for them, they want that one shot class and they're out of there with a hundred yeah. people. Oh my God. So yeah. I'm glad you said that though. <laughs> it's real. Yes, absolutely. And, and people need, you need personal attention. If you're going to learn a skill, God, yeah. you got to have somebody watching you. You can't, you know, you can't have 20 people out there and, and everybody's shooting and doing their own thing. And <laughs> like, like the, the, the rifle course that I went to, it was just like mm-hmm. lady next to me just couldn't figure out how to do anything. And I was just like, Oh my God. And yeah. you know, I, I, I have a, I have a hard rule that I don't, I don't do any training if I'm in somebody else's class. I let yeah, them yeah. do the training. Now, if somebody's doing un- something unsafe, yeah, I'll step in. Step in. 100%. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna coach somebody else during somebody else's class. Mm-hmm. They need to so learn that. I, I just let it go. She wasn't doing uh, anything unsafe, but it was just like I, I would not have let her into this class because yes. she was so inept in what she was doing. You need to and, know your level. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, well, that guy just snatched that lady's four hundred bucks, and she didn't learn anything. Mm-mm. So it was just a waste. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm only going to go off that tangent, but yeah, frustrating. Um, wrapping this up too, towards the end, you read a lot, probably just as much as I do. <laughs> I love reading people hate it or podcasting, whatever. Um, what are some really good books that people should read, um, about the defensive shooting about personal protection mindset, and maybe some podcasts too. What do you recommend? Uh, so if you want to stay current on all the gun news, that uh, the Gun Talk podcast by Tom Gresham. That's what I listen to. It comes out every Sunday. It's like three hour radio show. And you get all the current laws and all the, the laws that are coming out. And you can really, really stay up to date with all the latest stuff. Awesome. Uh, so that's why I listen to him because I, I, that's where I get all the news about laws and new gear and new guns and stuff like that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, as far as books goes, there's like a tier. So when you're talking about to the defensive mindset, right? So situational awareness is first and foremost. Yep. And what comes with situational awareness is like 70% of our body language or 70% of our communication is body language. Mm-hmm. So any books on body language. So there's a really good book by uh, Joe Navarro, I think it's called What Everybody Is Saying. So he was mm-hmm. an FBI interrogator and he really breaks down body language and mm-hmm. you know what to look for and things like that. So if you can spot somebody's body language that, that could be hostile, then you know, you've already got 70% of the information that you already want. Right. Next would be verbal, right? So de-escalation. There's another good book called Verbal Judo. So this guy was a English professor, uh, had a black belt in judo, and then for whatever reason, decided to join the police force. So the, his first two encounters, the, the guy wasn't doing what he wanted him to do. So he just went hands-on. <laughs> so he, uh, he got called into the, the chief's office and the chief, he thought, okay, he's going to, you know, give me a big thumbs up and say, good job. Well, he reamed him out because I said, look, you just can't be going hands-on with every single person that you meet. Oh, so he no. developed as an English professor, he developed this whole thing called verbal judo. And it's basically de-escalation skills and how to talk to people and do things like that. So de-escalation is super important, right? So first we got- Especially verbal- carry gun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the very, very, very last thing you want to do is is pull the gun out. Yep. Like if if all you all you think that you've got is a hammer, then everything's a nail. Yeah. If you've got other tools in your tool bag, right? So I can spot somebody that's hostile. 
just by their body language. And then if they approach me, I can de-escalate. Uh, so those are really two good books. And then, you know, after that, there's a lot of books on, uh, so there's one called When Violence is the Answer. And, you know, regardless of what your thoughts are on violence, it's, it's during the defensive mindset. If you are faced with violence, you have to retaliate with overwhelming violence. Yep. You're, you can't have any half measures when it comes to that. So I think that guy's name is Tim Larkin, uh, but he has what's called, uh, or the book's called When Violence is the Answer. Yeah. And then there's stuff after the fact, which is, so uh, On Combat, uh, that's a good book to read. It talks about what happens after you've uh, dealt with violence, what happens during violence, like physiologically, I think that's what it's called. Uh, so what, what happens physically with your body and things like that during violent encounters, and then what's gonna happen after violent encounters. Yeah. So if I were to recommend, you know, four books, you know, I've got a whole bunch of them listed on my website, but just the four, I would say I start with those and then start going down that path. Yeah. I want to go back to the violence thing. Um, my poor mother won't carry. Um, you know, you would think that with a daughter like me, they would, you know, but that's yeah. their personal decision. However, I think what's frustrating for me is that it, it happens to people that we know, and it's going to get closer and closer to home. Unfortunately, it takes an incident for someone to realize that that tool that they need is a firearm, right? Yeah. And they don't understand that. Okay. What if someone was trying to kill your grandbabies or like rape your daughter, all of the yep. things that that happens, you are probably going to answer violence with violence. Right. But they just don't see that for themselves. Yeah. And that, that's what I get a lot. It's like, I, Oh, I don't think I could shoot someone. It's like, okay. <sighs> Like, I don't think I could, you know, if somebody was attacking me, I don't think I would be able to, to shoot them to defend myself. Like, right. Okay. Well, what if someone was attacking your nine-year-old daughter? Yep. Like, oh, well, okay. Mama bear, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right. Okay. That's good. Here's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is an uncomfortable statistic, but for women, 50% of the population can kill them with their bare hands. Yep men on average are 90% stronger than women. Yep. That's, that's just on average. Now, obviously, yeah, there are exceptions. There absolutely are exceptions. Yeah. But on the average, you know, if you're just looking at the average man pound for pound, he's almost twice as strong as a yeah. woman pound for pound. Yep. And the equalizer in that is a firearm. Frustrating to say this a million times, uh, gun rights are women's rights. And I 100% yes. believe that. I will repeat it till I die. I just don't know what else to tell you. Um, and you think yeah. about like the, the mama bear situation too. Okay. You don't want to defend yourself and keep yourself alive for your daughter. It right. goes back to that too. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so much, um, and it goes back to the home invasion thing too. Like, you know, the, the violence is out there. Yeah, it is. They're there. It absolutely is. Grocery stores, churches, homes, like you, you wouldn't believe it because some people just don't want to see it either. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, it's, especially for women you know that that firearm is an absolute equalizer it's like like my women's situational awareness class that i teach us like the odds of you winning a physical fight with a man are pretty low if you go hands-on with a man you know the odds of you winning that even if like regardless of training level now like I said, I take jujitsu. Yeah. There are several women in there who will mop <laughs> the floor with me. Yeah. Absolutely. But so not me. <laughs> I that, don't do that's, that. yeah. that's after 10 years of jujitsu, right? So, if, okay, if you put in that work and you stay on top of it, okay, yep, 
yeah. you can yeah. win that fight. But for most of the population, right, going hands-on is, is going to be a losing battle. And that firearm is the equalizer in that case. Yeah. I know we went super long. This has been awesome. Uh, I don't even want to stop, but I want to open this up to you. Is there anything else you want to leave people with or any other topic you want to talk about? Just, just, it's just been awesome. Oh yeah. I've, I really enjoyed this. It's awesome. Uh, just get training. That That's all there is to it. It's uh, a video on YouTube is not going to help you. you. You may be able to glean some information from that, but unless you have someone looking and coaching you, yeah. then you don't know what you don't know. Right. And that's the biggest thing with, with firearms instruction. It's, it's the Dunning Kruger effect. If you don't know what that is, you guys who are listening or watching can go Google that, but you don't know what you don't know. If, if you've never done any defensive firearms use, the first time you go, you will realize that you don't know anything and yeah. then hopefully you'll go get more. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Tim. Um, so uh, if someone can go take one of your classes, uh, where do they find you? What's your website? What's your social media? So they can find you. So it's all pretty simple. It's LFX. That's Lima Foxtrot X-Ray. So if you go to lfxtraining.com and then LFX training everywhere else, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. So yeah, if you just go to the website, it has all the information there, all the classes, all my social media, all that kind of stuff. And I am very responsive. I tell everyone this in my classes. I said, listen, if you text me, if you call me, if you email me, I will respond almost immediately. Uh, and I, I answer any questions from gear, the classes, to other trainer recommendations, stuff like that. I will answer your emails and be very responsive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, type A. <laughs> type A yeah. salt here. <laughs> yeah. But even if you don't get training from Tim, get training from someone. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, get recommendations from Tim for sure and ask questions, get out there. And and I think the one thing I want to leave people with that you, you said, pass knowledge down. Don't retain it and keep it for yourself um, like, like you do and like I do. When you take a class or when you learn something or you have that aha moment from someone go teach and show somebody else because you could be making a difference could be saving a life you know i try to bring everything back that i learned so that other people have it too that's right yeah yeah pass along if you learn something cool tell it to somebody else yeah <laughs> so tim thanks for being on the podcast this is oh thank you so much i really appreciate it this was fun absolutely so east tennessee y'all come shoot with me and tim sometime yeah that's right <laughs> we'll have some fun um so tune in next week Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.